0: The following is a presentation of the Retro Network.
1: Hey geeks, it's Adam. I'm back. Just a little audio apology here up top. I have just moved into my new place, so my hiatus is over, yet my studio space isn't set up the way it needs to be. In fact, it's terribly empty and echoey at the moment. So I just wanted to offer that apology for this particular episode, as you will hear me sounding like I am, you know, in a submarine at the bottom of the ocean all by myself. But the conversation is fantastic. It's great to be back. And here we go. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to episode 32 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, the podcast where we re examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard Magazine. Emerging from my Kryptonian regeneration pod and back to full power, I'm Adam.
2: And wondering if Magnus Robot Fighter ever wore pants
0: to keep his legs warm, I'm Michael. And I read Gru. How about you? It's Steven
1: ah now boys the sheriff's back in town we are Uh gonna get this podcast on the right track mikey 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 you have been a bad monkey do you realize how many episodes it's been since a 90s comic was read for robin's reading rainbow steven do you even remember a little segment called guy gardner's gimmicks a go-go but to quote buzz from the end of home alone it's pretty cool you didn't burn the place down the we were close. <laughs> did you guys enjoy your chance to be the inmates running arkham asylum
2: Uh, It was more stressful than I thought it was going to be.
0: (laughs) It was. There were times we had fun. Like I said to you on Facebook chat, I feel like the Chachi of the show sometimes. (laughs) You know, like you brought me on, and some people might not like me and my particular flavor, but I I did my best here. You you did
2: very well. I'll give you a lot of credit. (laughs) You you had excellent notes. I had to do very little when it came to the actual learning of things prior. It's just a matter okay. of listening to myself over and over again that makes me just nauseated. I'm just like, oh, I can't hear my own voice ever again. I hate yeah, it. That,
1: that, that's how we divided up the responsibilities in my absence behind the scenes. We had Steven doing all the show notes and research, Michael doing the editing. So, yeah. And, uh, like I say, it came together. The Dark Book was a fun episode. You guys had some great guests along the way. So I think... Uh, we didn't skip a beat, really, you know, but we did uh, refer to those uh, in our own discussions as the lost episodes.
2: The only beat we might have skipped a little bit was the Jim and Todd's hype machine.
0: Oh, yeah, oh, don't mention <laughs> it. We are happy to have you back though, Adam, because there were some things that we, you know, you know like you could hear us talking on the podcast saying, "Oh man, Adam would know this. Adam would know <laughs> that. I'm sure Adam would know the answer to this question." So we missed you a lot, and we're happy that you're back.
1: Agreed. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. There's there's no better issue to come back on for I will tell you. There's a lot going on here, ready to jump into it. So Stephen, why don't you take us into Willie Lumpkin's mailbag? <laughs>
0: So this issue uh, marks the debut of a new Magic Words moderator. It's Jim McLaughlin, who goes on to a long tenure with the magazine, having previously been working at Collector Sports Look Magazine, which was also produced by Wizard, and now had, he had been brought over to the big leagues. I did not read Collector Sports Look Magazine. I don't know about you guys.
1: I, ju- I just got the first issue in the mail because I had to find out what it was about, and there is his name right the first masthead there. So he was there from the beginning, Jim McLaughlin. You're not messing with us? That's crazy. (laughs) You really are all in on this. You are really really all in. in. So anyway, so McLaughlin is
0: making some changes right off the bat. Jermone Jackson of Hampton, Virginia asks, One, why don't the Ninja Turtles get guns? Uh, It would make their jobs a whole lot easier. Two, could you ask Marvel to do the Iron Man X-Men fight? I'm tired of all these arguments about (laughs) who would win. Can't we all just get along
1: <laughs> sounds like a kindred <laughs> spirit with Michael there yes so here is what Jim McLaughlin decided to respond number one good point come to think of it why didn't just one bad guy in one of those Bruce Lee movies get a gun I mean you think they'd get smart after a while here's Bruce Lee kung fu to the holy bejesus out of 2000 guys and the two doesn't stop to think hey maybe he's too tough for me maybe I should get a gun <laughs> (laughs) Now, number two, responding to the Iron Man versus X-Men. I am officially calling an end to the whole Iron Man versus X-Men thing. We all know that Reed Fleming, World's Toughest Milkman, would mop the floor with both of them. And yes, we can't all get along. Got some uh, Reed Fleming, World's Toughest Milkman fans out there? I don't... <laughs> I got another history of that. Did he literally just make that up? Or is that a real thing?
2: It probably is a real thing. It's, I would assume. <laughs>
1: You're gonna go with that. But yeah, but put an end to it right there. I mean, that is... I, we will We'll see if anybody dares to defy him, but it still gets printed, asking if who could beat who, but uh, there it is. The end of an era. Jeez, we've lived well, through it. Only 32 issues. <laughs> Letter number two. Dear
2: Wizard, I think Serpentina of X-Men 2099 is the daughter of Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman. Why? Number one, she's got that stretching power, just like Mr. Fantastic. Two, she looks similar to Sue, the invisible woman, obviously. Three, she's a kid in the future. Hey, it just makes sense. And another thing, I predict that Wolverine will rejoin Alpha (laughs) Flight. (laughs) Butch... After the book gets canceled?
0: (laughs) Um, Oh, come on. (laughs) Butch Van Hook, Clearwater, Florida. So the wizard response is interesting theory but kind of moot now that Serpentina's dead you know dead sleeping the great sleep from which none return and comic book characters don't come back from the dead you silly goose
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so the first question about this guys have you ever read x-men 2099
2: no not at
1: all and any any idea serpentina doesn't ring a bell you didn't have her trading card and think it was awesome was she the, did she have like pink skin? No, Serpentina, guys, uh, she yeah, she died. I covered this on the 2099 hotline on the mini episodes, and uh, she did get killed. And so this is my question, though, for you, Stephen, would you have read X-Men 2099 if Reed and Sue's daughter was a main character of that book? Probably. I could see myself doing that. Yeah, I would say yes. Because I definitely
0: I picked up Fantastic Four 2099, which was not, also not good.
1: <laughs>
0: no, now, is it the same Fantastic Four characters? I've never read it, so I'm not really sure. You're gonna make me pull it out. My, like, my, my understanding launch.
1: is it was. It was supposed to be that they got launched into the future, but they were younger okay. versions of themselves. Unless I, I might be mixing that up with the Ultimate. Uh, Fantastic Four. Actually, now that I think about it, that sounds
0: that the, sounds right. Because if you look at the cover, they do look exactly like the same people. Hmm.
2: Okay, so there's actually a lot of letters in this thing, but they're they feel noticeably shorter than most of the normal letters I've seen in, in past issues.
1: It, it does feel like it was tailor-made for you. Like, Jim McLaughlin's like, what's Michael going to want to read? I've heard his criticisms. <laughs> Letters are just too long these days. <laughs> there's, there's only a couple of lengthy ones, but, but most of them are
2: pretty, like, you know, concise, which is kind of nice. Well, what's so, funny like, is All right.
1: even there's a letter, another response from John Byrne calling out Todd McFarlane, and even that is short. We don't need to read it, you
0: know? <laughs> <laughs> this feud is never-ending
2: it's really going like it's really i don't it's very bizarre like i almost want to contact them on twitter today be like do you guys really not like each other was this a thing like i want to know because it's it's evolving into this weird kind of situation when
1: when he finally overtakes jim lee in the jim and todd's (laughs) hype machine tally we'll get him on we'll ask the hard-hitting questions
2: who? if we get if we get him on the podcast holy cow yeah Thank god
1: but let uh, me ask you this yeah. who has
0: the who has the reputation as the bigger jerk todd mcfarlane and john byrne
1: i think todd mcfarlane has more goodwill because he created toys that everybody loved john byrne just made okay. comics people liked a long time ago and he's considered a legend but i don't think he has very much goodwill with people okay That's fair. Fair.
0: I've seen I've seen some comments that John Burns made in the past and he seems a little backwards, (laughs) (laughs) to say the least. And You know, Todd McFarlane's cocky, as all as a lot of those image guys tended to be back then. So, Adam, what do we have in our table
1: of contents? Well, speaking of Todd McFarland, this April 1994 cover date issue features Batman and Spawn in promotion of the two crossover books featuring the Dark Vigilantes teaming up. Yes, this was a monumental event for the time that was long touted as coming, it's coming, it's gonna happen! But it was also a milestone for Wizard Magazine, because this is the first time the Wizard logo. Did not appear writ large, you know, on the top of the cover. Instead, the logo was printed on the poly bag. So that when the magazine was removed, the fully illustrated image would not be obstructed. Now, Wizard obviously had been polybagging previous issues, you know, to put trading cards and things in. That had been happening for a long time, but they were clear. So this is the first time they printed on the plastic itself, and that became the standard practice going forward for the life of the magazine.
0: This is the kind of thing that only you would have been able to tell us on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, seriously,
1: neither Michael nor this I is would have said this is what we're here for. If it was just us, now as uh, Speaking of the polybag, included with this issue was a Wildcats trading card. Not part of the Wildcats series by Tops but a wizard Wildcats trading card and a weird Joe Quesada bookmark that featured this cartoon boy. He's holding this big futuristic laser gun and he's riding like a robot skeleton dinosaur. Like, I don't know what it was promoting. That's the part that doesn't make sense it's, to me.
2: I have to say, when when you said this weird Joe Quesada bookmark, I'm like, what is he, like, posing
1: provocatively like <laughs> George Costanza? that would be (laughs) awesome just a copy of jack (laughs) over his crotch god (laughs) who drew this cover
2: If you look closely under batman's boot it says fm
1: yeah so it, it may be a mashup cover then they teamed up for this just like they teamed up for the book so speaking of though that batman and spawn crossover the first article here the dark knights is an interview with the creative teams behind batman spawn war devil that was being released by dc comics and then flip it spawn batman red scare published by image Now, McFarlane reveals in this interview that he was reluctant to do any crossover with the Big Two, but after talking to veteran Neil Adams, who regretted being, quote, so militant and passing up, quote, golden opportunities to be creative over his career, McFarlane decided not to make the same mistakes actually speaking of Adams, it's interesting to note that as we discussed in past episodes right mcfarlane originally had this spawn valeria the she crossover that we were trying to track down and that was all played with continuity comics owned by neil adams but it was canceled in favor of this project So Todd originally conceived of this as a Spider-Man spawn crossover, but he figured that Marvel was doing so well financially, and probably they were a little miffed at him, that they wouldn't be open to it. But I think that's kind of funny. It's like a slight against DC, and it's like, well, Marvel, they're just doing so great, selling so many books, so I figured DC would let me do it. Because they need help. (laughs) But when contacted by Wizard, Gary Guzzo at Marvel said that they would have been open to hearing his proposal for Spider-Man. McFarland says, though, that DC has been remarkably flexible and that the books were produced independently of one another. And so it's kind of like the actually the DC side said it looks like Todd wants to kick our butts in the sales charts. Like (laughs) it's been a little bit of a competition putting these books together. What I found very interesting about this particular
2: cover issue article book literally in the last issue in 31 steven and i were talking about how there was rumors of a a batman punisher crossover but this wasn't even this wasn't even whispered at
1: in that book i don't
2: think right it was teased we talked about it in issue 29 yeah oh 29 because oh because 31 I wasn't talked about it at all so that's why i'm curious
1: yeah i guess they knew it was coming the next issue so they're like we'll just keep quiet then we'll blow everybody's minds with all the details we reveal but i say gentlemen we've got the books so let's get to our review in the return of robin's reading rainbow Robin.
2: we're talking about a Spawn and Batman
1: crossover with Adam. Please give us a little bit of detail on this comic. So this was long rumored that Todd McFarlane was doing this. And then he suddenly revealed, by the way, Frank Miller's writing it, okay? So Frank Miller didn't actually draw it, but he did write the story for their portion of the crossover. But then also, obviously, DC wants some of that image juice. They want a little bit of that spawn power, right? So they said, well, if you get to do a crossover with Batman, we get to also do a Batman spawn crossover on our side. So you got not one, but two. Let's start with the DC book, okay, which is... Noticeably, Batman and Spawn, okay, because Batman is their marquee character, right? So this uh, idea here—it's—it starts off with a question on the back, which: Who is croatoan No
0: one cares.
1: <laughs> no one cares. Does that sound exciting? <laughs> do you want that mystery solved? I don't know if you do. Nope. Um, but- art here in this book is by klaus jansen which is really interesting because he was a collaborator with frank miller on some infamous batman stories like the big batman stories he was doing so you think you'd have a little Frank Miller style in here, you know, that like maybe Klaus is trying to channel that. But let's start off just with our general feelings about the art in this book, because art was so important at this time. That was what was selling a book.
2: Well, Steven, you had an interesting thought about the art in this comic. <laughs> I'll let you take that.
0: What did I say in the Facebook? Uh, this art sucks.
2: Yes, he wrote, you wrote specifically, this art sucks.
0: Period. <laughs> <laughs> it's not enticing at all. It's very Uh,
1: underwhelming, I would say. It's
0: very underwhelming for a major crossover event. It's very generic.
1: But the basic story of this book is that anciently, a town, I guess, that Gotham was built on top of, they had this disappearance of a bunch of people and nobody knows what caused it. And then Croatoan was written on this wall and everybody's like, what does it mean? What does it mean? You know? And then now it's years later, there's some businessman who died mm-hmm. and the tower that he built and it's so uh, Batman's like investigating this other criminal who was associated with that guy. And so it's, it's very convoluted at the beginning as to, okay, there's some sort of crime happening. Batman is on top of, he doesn't know anything about the supernatural stuff that's not even what he's involved in meanwhile you have spawn over in new york city remember how spawn gets to gotham do you guys recall what the impetus was for that could you follow
0: there was so he had assassinated this guy when he was a hitman before he was Spawn, and now that guy's coming back to life. Yeah, well, like resurrected. He mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and then like he sees a newspaper from Gotham, I guess, and it says like, "Oh, <laughs> this building with this guy's name." He's like, "I know that guy," and yeah. then he goes and starts having flashes, you know, his little fragmented memories, and so he goes to Gotham, and of course, he and Batman meet up. And Spawn thinks that Batman is somebody sent by Malbolgia, that he's another warrior from hell that he has to battle. And then Batman's just like, huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. All that stuff. Ultimately, like, the guy's revealed to be a demon. Like, he came back to life, but he's actually, like, he was always this ancient demon. He just took off the shell of this human, and he's resurrecting people out of the graveyards of Gotham, and that's his army and all this stuff. Like, there there is one super intense moment where this, like, peon is next to him, and he gouges his eyes out with his fingers. He does, like, a a deadly Three Stooges maneuver. (laughs) But what was your just take on how Batman was written, Michael? I know, obviously, you love Batman. So in this book, did it feel like a Batman story to you? The whole thing didn't feel like a Batman story. It feels kind
2: of, it falls very flat. What I kept saying to myself was, I guess not all, like, super-powered, you know, famous, you know, comic teams can be, like, Mark Wade and Alex Ross. Like, you're just not going to get that kind of magic every time. And this was what it felt like to me. Like, this just didn't have that magic. Like, I wasn't excited to read it i wasn't excited to even get all the way through it and you'd think because you've got image's biggest character and arguably the biggest comic character of all time coming together you'd have something epic and it doesn't feel epic it doesn't feel grandiose it doesn't feel like it's that big of a deal and that kind of bummed me out too
1: yeah well what's crazy is it's written by not one but three different batman characters comic book writers who were writing the books at that time so you got Doug Mench you got Chuck Dixon, and you got Alan Grant they all had been on the Batman books and what it says in the Wizard interview is basically they're like yeah we have been shying away from anything supernatural this was really outside of what we wanted to do with Batman but now we get to play in the world of the supernatural for once you know And so obviously it did not work yeah, yeah. but and, and really like at the end of this after it's all said and done like the guy he blasted Blacks out Gotham. He creates a pentagram around Gotham with city lights. So he he is in charge of the electrical grid and can do that. (laughs) Tower in the the middle is flaming tower. But sorry, so they they defeat him. You know, whatever Spawn uses his hell power and everything. But the craziest thing to me is the wrap up of this book because it is so on DC's part, like putting Spawn in his place. So this is what Spawn says as Batman swings heroically off into the night. A city, invisible souls lost in numbers. He gives, yet asks for nothing. A man who knows what his real face is and wears it with no apology. The kind of man I'll be. So now, now, Batman is Spawn's role model is basically what we're being told here. So yeah, it was, it was just it's yeah it just doesn't ring true unfortunately, and I don't think anybody remembers even that crossover. I think what everybody remembers is this. Yes, I don't know. It doesn't feel that great to me. In my, well, I guess it's, it, it matters if you're a McFarland fan or not. It's certainly more dynamic yeah. than what Kyle Janssen was doing with DC, but it's it's also very. Cartoony, yeah. which is Todd McFarlane's style, it's very yeah, you know, stylized. Like, I don't like the way he has Batman here with this weird kind of head.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't like it
1: either. His, his cowl is always in the shadow, so you just see the eyes. Yeah, yeah. I don't. It's I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't do it for me. So here's the thing, and I was
0: thinking about this at the time to put this in historical context. This was a huge deal. Like this comic book was on the cover of both Wizard and Hero that month. They both devoted, you know, space to it. So I went out and bought both of these when they came out. Probably the week that they came out, I went to Heroes World, picked them up. I read them, put them in plastic, put them in my long box and never thought about them them again. So when I took them out, they were in like pristine condition. There was no odor to them. They were just perfect because I just read them once and hated them and then put them away. So it was I was very underwhelmed. I was very disappointed. I and get,
1: uh, I just don't get this, yeah, I don't get yeah. this.
2: like why, why this every time?
1: Well, so you have to look at it then, of how Frank Miller wrote Batman. In the dark knight returns, right? Mm-hmm. As this like gritty, grizzled, just like just almost psychotic individual now. Once he gets back into the costume, everything you know, he's talking to himself, he's got his inner monologue, he's raising up his soldiers, you know, like he says mm-hmm. to Carrie Robin. You know, he's like good soldier, you know. He's just like so Frank Miller, the way he writes this is a hundred percent like Batman is a lunatic yes, because yes. he's a person who puts on a costume and goes mm. and beats up his first line is punks he calls spawn a punk. You just like, like everything is about calling people punks. It, it must've
2: been, a, it must've been a word that back then that was like a, a buzzword people would say
1: back then. I, feel like. I, I just think it's Frank Miller. He's like, this is yeah. tough guy speak. This is, this is how you live. <laughs> <if> you live <laughs> tough guy. I'll say this.
0: I hate Frank Miller. I hate the way he writes Batman. His Batman makes me hate Batman. Like this Batman is cruel. He's not a hero. He's calling like every bad guy, a punk. He's calling homeless people bums. It's like, well, what are you doing there, Batman? Why, like, who are you fighting for? It's just this aggressive, you know, kind of tough guy fantasy uh, that yeah, he and, and lives out. That's what
1: it is, right? It's the two of them just showing who's the toughest and beating yes. each other to death, you know, like, like literally at and, one point. Like, And then there's like this
0: awful dialogue where Alfred's trying to get Batman to drink chamomile tea because it prevents nightmares and batman says i don't get nightmares i give them and then on the next page batman's (laughs) talking about how he's still haunted by his parents murder in crime alley so i'm like you clearly still have nightmares you (laughs) freaking jerk like what are you talking about that's why he's talking tough he's trying to cover it up you know i just i just hate it i like frank miller i'm sorry not great kind of ruined batman
1: now what's interesting about this too one thing i'll mention is the way it was promoted in wizard is this story was called red scare that's what they said it right. was called it was a spawn batman red scare it says nothing about red scare anywhere on the title page here or it's anywhere. not about the russians no it <laughs> frank miller may have written script that way but it wasn't ultimately how this book was being promoted but you get all the frank miller themes and it's very robocop 2 if those of you don't know frank Mm -hmm. miller wrote robocop 2 so the story of this is that there there are these like terrorists that are building robotic bodies and they're taking homeless people and using their brains just taking their heads and creating these little like removable head things that you could stick into a robot body and they don't know where they are and they're all confused which is why Spawn gets involved because he is the king of the alley, right? So he's got all his homeless friends and now they're disappearing. So he's going to investigate that. But of course he just butts heads. But also it has the self-improvement guru who is really a criminal mastermind, which was also in RoboCop 2. I think it was more of the novelization <laughs> and the comic that it was in the movie. They cut a lot of stuff out, but this a female figure who is telling you how to be a better person. Frank Miller doesn't like that. No. <laughs> that's the ultimate in villainy, you know <laughs> uh, now if you had to point out one good thing about this book though was there a moment that surprised you something that you thought was cool like an idea in here that they worked with
2: no <laughs> um, wow. ultimate, no old, i think steven makes a very good point about how we need to really see how they're going to reimagine batman it's not just beating up homeless people all the time and yes beating up you know mentally ill people it's this era of batman is not a good representation of what batman should be today if
0: you ask me i concur and not to go back to the adam west though i'd love that <laughs> but there needs to be almost like how iron man in the marvel movies is kind of benevolent mm-hmm. and tries to help people And tries to build tech for people. You know, when we were kids, we thought it would be cool to be Batman. We thought it'd be fun to be Batman. Batman the Animated Series made it seem like it was fun to be Batman. Now, if I were a kid, I wouldn't want to be Batman. Why would I want to be Batman? He seems like the most depressed, angry human being on the planet.
1: Well, I had a depressed, angry human being, and that was the definitive Batman, and that's what kicked off the grim and gritty era, and that's all the image guys were 100% inspired by Dark Knight Returns, they loved it so much, you hear them, they talk about it. Yeah. Sure. Frank Miller was a huge get for McFarlane. And so it's basically letting Frank Miller just indulge a hundred percent, do everything feeding into that, that yeah, that maybe nowadays we are past that attitude. We would like to see an evolution of the character. So I think that that's very valid. Yeah. I mean, of the two, I still think just for the wackiness factor, I prefer mm-hmm. the McFarlane book for sure. At least it's not boring. Like we mm-hmm. said, uh, but yeah, but it is just, it is out of control. Like it is, it is so yeah. nuts just the machismo that is on display. (laughs) And even like, there's a point where Batman basically gets beaten to death by one of the robots and then Spawn resurrects him with his power. But he's still like the whole time, he's like, you're punk, you're nothing. (laughs) It's just like trash talking this guy who's saving his life. Like, it is so funny. Like the bitterness of this Batman, Bitter Man,
0: you know? Yeah, (laughs) well, (laughs) I will say of the two of them, I had more of a visceral, visceral reaction to this one. I had no reaction to the DC one. It's just, you know, Frank Miller, not to keep harping on this point, he just keeps revealing himself to be not what we thought he was. He's always on the side of the status quo. You know, he's always on the side of normalcy and and like this kind of base level society with control, which like, if you read Dark Knight Returns, obviously Superman is the villain and he represents America and, and Reagan and all this kind of stuff. But then every chance Frank Miller gets to show like, oh, I'm for the little guy, and for the guy that's being oppressed, he does the exact opposite in, in mm-hmm. his personal life. He says the most vile, horrible things about people who are fighting for their own rights. So mm-hmm. it's like, well, whose side are you on? And again, this just like when I, he's here's see him, Batman calling homeless people bums, and, and people as junkies, instead of drug addicts. It's like, well, you're not on the side of people who are suffering. You're on the side of the status quo guy yeah, so I mean, in
1: charge i think we're going to be tracking that like was frank miller always like that in his interviews or is it just as he's gotten older and more free and more legendary as the years have gone on has he felt like he could just express himself so that's an interesting. It, but this is this is a, an interesting starting place for us because yeah we didn't read man without fear so we didn't really compare that daredevil to this that would actually be an interesting comparison sure. like like a return to your famous character. Maybe we need to do that next time around because it's been on the top 10 list so mm-hmm. much and we talk a little bit about it. We that. have talked about it a lot. <laughs> Now, next up here, though, speaking of these shadowy characters, these vigilantes, out of the shadows is an interview with Jim Valentino, which mostly is about his take on the criticism received by Image over the last two years. That seems to be, if you're an Image founder, you get interviewed, right? You got to respond to the critics. Now, I'm curious, because most likely for you guys, the only exposure that you've had to Jim Valentino's work is that Shadowhawk gimmick cover that we feature on scrap bag. am I right?
0: I think you'd be right there.
1: Off the top of my head, I'd have to say yes. You were big Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy readers in the 90s? <laughs> no. Normal Man <laughs> was what everybody said was like his big independent book. He wrote Normal Man, which was about a normal guy in a world of superheroes.
0: Oh, that sounds like something.
1: <laughs> but uh, Valentino has asked do you feel gimmicks help sell your product or comics in general it should be said brian cunningham our buddy there is conducting this interview valentino's response Mm -hmm. is this is the first interview wizard has done with me in all this time how many interviews have they done with jim rob and todd i've had to face competition from my own peer group i had to create a spotlight that said hey over here guys take a look and it worked (laughs) so i just think that's okay uh, jim valentino low man on the totem pole came from, you know, a mid-level success over at Marvel with Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, for those of you who don't know, Shadowhawk's claim to fame was breaking the spines of criminals. So Wizard asks, are you worried that Shadowhawk may be too violent for young readers? To which Valentino responds, is it any more violent than Mortal Kombat? I doubt it. I I was gonna literally say,
2: like, the breaking of spine thing sounds like he stole the idea from
1: Mortal Kombat. Just, he toned it down. They have the ripping out of spines. He only broke the spines.
0: What was, I mean, because also Bane broke Batman's spine, obviously. There was just a lot of spine cracking going on in the 90s. <laughs> Chiropractic was getting big back then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I Everybody mean, had to get a little more flexible, I guess. Maybe not get their spine broken so easily.
0: Do you remember, like, in kind of 90s action movies you know, any character who is either a good guy or a bad guy could just crack people's necks oh, like that. Yeah. <laughs> like they'd walk up to someone, they'd twist their head and, and their neck was broken. And, and like that bad guy was out of commission. So
1: you gotta, you gotta get a stronger thugs. there, bad guys. Now uh, regarding the critics of image, Valentino provides a very fair clarification here. He says, quote, image comics aren't written for 40 year old guys. Who've read 4 million comics. They're written for kids who are still interested in superheroes are still excited by it all still find it new and interesting so let me ask you this guys does that make you give image comics more of a pass now if they were meant for 13 year olds no no because
0: <laughs> i totally disagree with what he's saying i read that in the article and i didn't think image comics were for kids when i was a kid i thought they were for teenagers adults you know i wasn't gonna go to the store and buy one of those hyper violent image comics it just would it wouldn't have been something that i felt was appropriate for me so i just think he's off the mark there
1: yeah I, I think they think that oh we're just doing superhero books not realizing how much they amped up uh, the violence
0: well and he's talking about shadow hawk in this article about, and how he's the first superhero that has aids which is a very important storyline but it's not one that you would think as a 11 year old 10 year old to pick up you know it's it's very heavy it's you know a very real talk in a comic book and i just don't think it was i don't think we were ready for it as as 1011 10, 11-year-olds at this point.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now, moving forward here to something you guys might be a little more familiar with. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly is a discussion with the Superman editorial team about all the big news in the world of Superman that doesn't involve Zero Hour. (laughs) They basically said, Superman has a big part to play, but we're not telling you right now. Which is to say that Superboy now has his own series that is set in Hawaii. Steel has his own series that is set in Washington, D.C. And then the Fall of Metropolis storyline is the major event in the main Superman books. Do you guys have a recollection of the Fall of Metropolis storyline? You know, I was reading
0: Superman at this time, and I didn't remember the Fall of Metropolis. So I might have moved on to the, you know, Steel issues and Superboy issues. From the main Superman storyline. I have like a vague recollection of it. But it's very foggy. Because I feel like honestly.
2: A- after Superman came back. After about maybe eight or ten issues, I kind
1: of lost interest and I dumped it. Well, and I think that's what it kind of comes down to, right? It's like, this was like their follow-up to all of that. It's kind of like, well, yeah, I think we're weaning ourselves off of Superman at this point. But yeah, jumping to the remaining Supermen that came out of it. But to me, the most interesting announcement is a crossover with the milestone imprint that will involve Steel, Superboy, and Superman, meeting Hardware, Static, and Icon, as well as members of Blood Syndicate. But every what involved is so funny they have a different opinion of how the crossover was agreed upon like Dwayne McDuffie states he thought it was too early to do a crossover milestone was still establishing itself but then Dennis Cowan and Louise Simonson talked about it and got excited then they roped in Superman editor Mike Carlin and so it moved forward and it's interesting because Simonson said that she just wanted a steel meets hardware story organically as a one-off appearance because she was writing steel at the time and she didn't want to make it a huge crossover event which makes sense because if you recall our x-men 30th anniversary discussion where you know wheezy as she's known she expressed her unfortunate part in creating crossover events in x-men comics at marvel that she now regrets so it's kind of like foiled again sorry wheezy
2: i have a fun trivia question for you guys about steel and see if you guys know this oh who is steel married to uh, Mrs. <laughs> no. Mrs. Irons. <laughs> Close. Mrs. O'Neal. No. You give up? Lana Lang. Really? Really? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, happens sometime in like the late. Two thousand ishes and and they like leaned into it in the new fifty two a lot and then just post the new fifty two as well but yeah they're they're married she's a scientist now and they fall in love and yada 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 they you know they're married
0: yeah yada 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 over the best part <laughs> I said they were married well I'm glad they <laughs> so she left other. that uh, she left that drunken idiot she was with in Superman three yes okay that's <laughs> good. So. <laughs> that's good that wasn't
1: working now uh, no. jumping across the aisle here marvel man is an interview with fabian nesieza this guy and peter david they're like the wizard mvps it's like well we got to fill a couple pages here give him a call so again he is referred to as quote the hardest working man in comics because he is writing x-men x-force new warriors and then several new warriors spit off titles as well as being an editor and he was writing nomad but now that's ending and all these things so basically Basically, he admits that he has spread himself too thin and that quote, I'd rather be a writer who's known for the quality of his work as opposed to the quantity of his work. It didn't seem anybody was talking about whether they like the books or not. They were only talking about how many I was doing. <laughs> And it was interesting, too, because he says, you know, he's writing the most profitable books, right? He's writing the X titles, and yet he prefers New Warriors because he started that book, right? So to him, that's where he kind of has created this universe. And X-Men, he's just taking over the job for somebody. But it pays great. I'm not complaining. (laughs) I'm sure it does. Now, uh, Wizard, in this issue, features their awesome scavenger hunt. It's back. And there is a weird buzzard motif associated with this. I do not get it. Like, they had like, cows, you know, in the past in their advertising. Now, buzzards, eventually they get that bunny as the mascot of the letters column. Like, I don't know what Wizard's thing was with wildlife. But they, they sure love to incorporate it here. But it says here the food chain ends here and then there's literally a bunch of buzzards eating vultures whatever they are of course there are many limited edition autograph comics and trading cards to win like the list is huge but the grand prize guys get this a 19 inch color tv a laser disc player and movies on laser disc like the star wars trilogy batman 89 the Alien Director's Cut, and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. No comics whatsoever oh, if you win this comic scavenger hunt.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, Batman. As close, as close as you get, right? I'm curious yeah. for you guys, did any of your families ever have a Laserdisc player? No, we, we were lucky we had a
2: VCR. We had a VCR, we had one color TV in the house that you needed to use a pair of pliers to change the channel until we got the uh, Cablevision cable box and I had a, a black and white tube TV that kind of opened up cause it wasn't really held together. We had bunny
0: ears on it and I had, that was in my bedroom. <laughs> that was it. Okay. Well, yeah, we never had a laser disc. I really I thought it would be cool. I was a huge movie fan as a kid, and there was even a laser disc store uh, one town over from us, but no, we never owned a laser disc player. Yeah, I, I
1: didn't either, but I had a friend who had a laser disc, and so he would transfer the special edition laser discs to VHS for me, like Spital Tap and all oh. these other movies, and so that was kind of fun. I can't imagine it kind of worked that yeah, way. Yeah, it know. It's <laughs> a lot of work. Also up for grabs to the fourth place winners is an item that we have in our archive collection here the embroidered wizard baseball cap signed by the wizard staff the majority of the people who signed this hat outside of garib Sheamus and pat mccallum we have had their stories told so it's actually really cool kind of a fun little detail there now the checklist postcard that's included in the issue has some very 90s items that you have to find for this scavenger hunt okay they include a nightfall pog A picture of Suzanne (laughs) Somers using a Thighmaster, which is actually easier to come by than you would think back in the day. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Uh, Any TV guide had it in there, I'm sure.
1: Fully outdated technology, it seems. An empty Kodak film canister. How many quarters did you guys put into your Kodak film canisters and use as a a portable (laughs) bank, you know?
2: I just remember when you, op- you popped the gray cap on those things, and you'd sniff the inside of it. Like the, the film
1: smell of it was just like a, a unique smell. There was a temporary tattoo. Man, those things were all the rage. I remember like buying candy at 7-Eleven that had a temporary tattoo wrapped inside it. That was the big draw of it. I was like, oh. My
2: first temporary tattoo was in Virginia Beach, and I, it was like a barbed wire with a bald eagle in the middle of it. I was like, I have to get <laughs> <laughs> or oh, my tiny little like 11 year old arm like this is what i that need right fantastic. here
1: <laughs> um, now they also had you answering certain trivia questions like quote the number of mentions of whoop in the song whoop there it is
0: that's hard. Back then, if you didn't have it on tape, how the hell were you supposed to? You were just going to like wait by the radio for a boom to yeah, come that's on? that's what you had to do. Or you could buy the cassette or the CD, and they might have the lyrics inside
1: of it, maybe. Or we'll meet mm. you in the middle, record it off the radio. Here, here's what's funny
0: about my, my particular issue of this, which I got on eBay. The person started to fill out some of these oh. questions and checked off the things they had. So they did the name of Roscoe's dog from Dukes of Hazard. Someone wrote in Flash. And then it says, Roseanne married, and they wrote, they, they wrote Tom Arnold, but they misspelled Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> but they did find a empty Kodak film canister and a bus schedule, according to this checklist. They just never turned it in or did the rest of it.
1: Now, this is one for you, if you guys can answer this, because you just covered it, but they want you to tell them, name the writer of the epilogue in the dark book. I know who it was,
0: but let's see if Michael remembers. <laughs> I don't even know reading the dark book. I forgot already. Um God, I don't remember. I know exactly who it was. I don't know. Can I get a hint? Can I get like a... a well, John Byrne wrote the intro. Great. Or, supposedly, the... or John Byrne signed his name to the intro, according to the wizard file. I guess. What did what a topic fall right t- We t- talked t- about him in the Patreon group chat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I don't know. I don't know. It was, it was, it was Peter David, wasn't it? Was it yeah. really? Really? Was
1: it Peter David? Last thing that they mention, though, is they tell you that there were comics published in February and March of 1994 by idc Comics, Jim Valentino's Shadowline Inc. and Image, Ultraverse, and Defiant that all had a hidden wizard logo. So, if you could, they, they had some sort of communication with those publishers. So, if you could find four different comics with a hidden wizard logo and identify them, you could get the points for that part of the scavenger hunt. Now, I gotta go dig through more court events and find those books. That's wizard history right there. <laughs> That's a lot. Oh, it's hard.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. Good thing you have
1: a lot of garage space in your house. (laughs) We got a shed, yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, If anybody knows, you tell us and uh, make it easier on your old pal Adam over here. Finally, there is a random feature where readers can match up photos of comic professionals with their baby photos. It's about as exciting as it sounds, and I will tell you that the only identifiable one, like the gimme, I guess you would call it, is Rob Liefeld. He just looks like a big baby now. And he looks identical to what he oh was God. when he was a baby. 100%. That was the
2: only one I got was Rob Liefeld. <laughs> Could you imagine him, like, using Snapchat and using the baby filter
1: on Snapchat? <laughs> He's like, oh, I look the same. <laughs> All right, Michael. Well, why don't you give us some more headlines in the... Wizard News. Wizard News. <laughs>
2: So, once again, Wizard claims that Jim Shooter will be writing Youngblood for Rob Liefeld, this time with a quote from Shooter saying, I think Rob and I are philosophically in tune with what we like in comics. Hopefully, doing Youngblood will be good for Defiant and good for Image. I'll give Rob my best effort. And as reported last issue, this never comes to fruition. It never happens. So, good try, and Jim. I've, Thanks for sticking the Yeah, try. I've been
1: scouring the internet trying to find the reason. I, I haven't found an explanation yet. So, again, if you guys out there listening now, post it on our social media. we got to get to the bottom of this mystery.
0: What I thought was so funny about this headline is it's the same headline back-to-back back in these issues of Wizard, and the previous issue said Shooter to Write Youngblood with a question mark, and then this issue said Shooter to write Youngblood with no question mark. <laughs>
1: we answered our own questions. <laughs> it was a sure thing.
0: And unfortunately, we at the podcast
2: can't ask Rob Liefeld because he blocked us now. So, <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever happened to this thing? Oh, I don't talk about that. Listen to my podcast. You'll find the answer for that. Oh, great. Thanks. So, on the topic of Jim Shooter and Defiant, Marvel announces that they are canceling the U.S. publication of their Marvel UK comics due to poor sales. If you recall, Marvel sued Defiant over the name Plasm versus Warriors of Plaza because they claimed it sounded too close to their Marvel UK comic Plasmer, and threatened Jim Lee over his Gen X comic for sounding too much like their other UK comic Genic X or Gen Genetic. You
1: want to say Big X on the end? Genetics. <laughs>
2: causing him to change the name to what we ultimately got was gen 13 it turns out all of that legal action did not translate to better comic sales no kidding (laughs) and also both companies in financial despair going forward if you if you want to ask my opinion so Malibu Comics announces that they have lost the license to produce their Street Fighter II comic because of complications with Capcom and their dislike of our adaptation of the most popular game in the world. So basically,
1: they blew it. It wouldn't seem that hard to do, right? People fighting each other and coming up with some cool reason. Apparently, they did not make it cool.
2: Well, I mean, we've all seen the Street Fighter movie, so, you know. I like that movie. I'll defend that movie. There are certain things about that movie I really do like. I mean, it really, costume-wise, it brought the characters to life in a lot of ways, I felt, other than, you know, Van Damme not having the, the proper hair, but I'll <laughs> let it
1: slide.
0: Or or accent. I mean, for the <laughs> love of God, he's playing the American in the really? movie.
1: Really? Vanilla that Ice should have played Guile. Come on. He had the hair. <laughs>
0: Go ninja, go ninja, go. So, wizard editor
2: Patrick Daniel O'Neill offers up his opinion of what the different ages of comics should be named. They are as follows. Number one, the gestation period from 1933 to 1938, when comics started being produced in collected booklet form. Okay. Weird. Kind of... Name of gestation period, sure, whatever, whatever. The Golden Age from 1938 to 1951, when superhero comics kicked in with Action Comics number one. The next one says, what is that the, word? I don't,
1: this is some sort of interregnum? I have never heard this word before, and I know a lot of weird words. Yeah.
2: You do know a lot of weird <laughs> words. You're a wordsmith.
1: The first
2: interregnum from 1951 to 1956 when comics were just playing it safe due to the seduction of the innocent scandal after ec comics kicked off the horror and
0: crime comics boom i just looked up the word by the way it means a period when normal government is suspended (laughs) okay so there you go yeah Next is The Silver
2: Age, from 1956 to 1970, starting with Flash in Showcase number 4 and ending with Kirby leaving Marvel for DC. Okay, the next one is The Second Interregnum, from 1970-1975, when comics were in a lull and newsstand distribution was disappearing in favor of the fledgling direct-market dedicated comic book stores interesting okay that's cool i don't know if i'd call it the interregnum (laughs) okay the next one really he got kind of lazy i think it goes a little off the rails here with the whatever age from 1975 to 1987 and starts with giant size x-men number one and ends when john byrne comes on to reboot and write the man of steel The whatever
1: okay. age <laughs> that's really lazy yeah, it's terrible <laughs> i'm like what the, nothing happened that you could base it on you could say it well yeah it's very strange i i would almost call it like
2: the first reboot age if you will or like the first uh crisis age or something like in my opinion but neither here nor there and finally the third interregnum from 1987 to 1994, the present time, which he doesn't even try to come up with a name for. He just says, you know, it's an interregnum. <laughs> of course it is. So, <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have any thoughts on these periods of, of comic history and anything like that?
0: I really agree that the gestation period is a good, a good name. Uh, Interregnum is not a great name. (laughs)
1: No. I mean, I don't understand why he doesn't, I mean, like, did the Bronze Age, did that not exist until, like, the 2000s or something? I thought that was, like, just a standard explanation, this whatever age, essentially, what he's calling it. That was, like, the Bronze Age, everybody calls that, you know, that third period. And then, yeah, it's like, they Uh didn't have a name for their modern day uh, era at that time, but, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where I still think the Chromium Age Mm -hmm. is the best, but that Ultimately, that was just these few years we've covered so far uh, of the new comics era.
0: Didn't Har- Harlan Ellison in the last issue, or maybe it was a dark book, he called it the adamantium yeah. age?
1: <laughs> so everybody thought kind of shiny works. things for that age. <laughs> <laughs> the spiked era. <laughs> But I think that ultimately we're still sort of in that, like, it's like we're in the modern age, right, going forward from that period, so.
2: I don't know. I feel like the modern age really is the post-2000s, if you ask me, because so much has been retconned and changed since this time period that, uh, you know, I find that. My it feels opinion, like now you know, is the
1: whatever age, because it's literally like, you know, the continuity doesn't matter at all. It's like whatever serves the story, yeah. whatever, this little pocket universe here, pocket okay. universe, this rebooted universe here. So, yeah.
2: One of those is like my grandmother would say, you know, you know, the spaghetti's ready when you take it, you throw it against the wall and it sticks. <laughs> That's what they would hear in comics, folks. <laughs> so, so Stephen, what do we've got in Heroes in Motion?
0: So the big news in Heroes in Motion, Fantastic Four, the movie, originally scheduled to be released in the fall of 1993, is officially 100% dead. (laughs) D-E-D, dead. Dead. And obviously we've covered this ad nauseum in our Fantastic Four, the movie bonus episode. But this was the first time I saw that, you know, this bit of news was in this particular issue. And man, did it hit hard. This was a very disappointing day in my life when I opened up this issue and saw that they'd canceled the movie. And it's funny because I think I mentioned on the Fantastic Four podcast that I was making my own 8x10s by enlarging photos from Wizard in a copy machine. And these were those photos. I had these on my wall.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Really? Yeah. So it's a bummer, but Wizard does say that the script is perfect. So you got something out know. I thought there. that was a
1: really <laughs> interesting commentary on their part that I could say it's pretty much perfect. So they were talking that it was what ultimately happened is that they're trying to sell the rights to a bigger studio now. And we know that was definitely the case.
0: You know, I look at these costumes and these stills and I was so filled with hope and that hope was completely dashed. <laughs> so moving on from my uh depression about fantastic four <laughs> also in here is batman mask of the phantasm is declared a box office bomb since it just barely brought a million dollars in and plus siskel and ebert didn't bother to even see it uh or provide a rating and the declaration that it was disappointing yeah so the writer of this article says that the movie was very disappointing uh says that the animation was not that spectacular the story was nothing new uh and that's why it didn't do well that's his well, take on it well let's be honest first of
2: all on box office 30 we did uh silence of the lambs and roger ebert said that silence of the lambs was a terrible movie with a with a contrived <laughs> plot i'm like are you crazy i'm like what this is why you're reviewing movies and not making movies pal sorry he edited the
1: movie okay. he did well, make you know was that uh, was it, the valley of the dolls right yeah that the russ Meyer movie. <laughs> so they i don't know i don't know they're ebert <laughs> but he did as we said
0: he did end up liking mask of the phantasm quite a bit
1: when he saw it just before batman so, forever right right after yeah. batman
0: forever he saw batman forever first <laughs> really maybe
1: that helped him i don't know
0: yeah so also kind of the big story in this issue is phantom 2040 is a new syndicated cartoon with designs by peter chung of eon flux fame it's a futuristic update of the old school comic strip hero who would soon get a live action movie starring billy zane instead of guns the phantom now has a laser whip but tries to resolve everything through non-violence it features an impressive voice cast including mark hamill margot kidder debbie harry of blondie fame paul williams and ron perlman by the way the person who played the phantom which is not in this outline adam i'm gonna give you a little bit of uh, grief here who was it steven it was scott valentine who you might know best as nick from family Ties. hey
1: (laughs) the fonzie of family ties
0: who was also starring in the black scorpion tv series a few years after this did you guys watch this show I didn't know it existed. I, I mean, maybe I knew at the time,
2: but it must not have ran very long because I have no recollection of it at all.
1: I actually did. It, it was syndicated in my area, and it used to come on Sunday mornings, and Sunday morning cartoons were the Marvel Action Hour and Phantom 2040 for me. That's what I got excited about. And so, yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed it, although it, because of the lack of, like, actual violence, it kind of was, it fell a little flat for me, but I always, like, I. Hundred percent recognized oh the guy who did E. M. flux did this because they just it looks like the same universe interesting the one i
0: remember him on the phantom was defenders of the earth yes with which is like a flash gordon mm-hmm. animated series that had an action figure line and i remember the action figures because my dad was in uh, a union uh, for plumbing and heating and air conditioning and every year they had a huge uh, union picnic and they would just at the end of it, throw out all the toys that they had intended for the children that never got passed out. <laughs> and they were just buying the cheapest toys off the rack, I'm sure, and that's what they were giving the kids. And they were just hurling Defenders of the Earth phantom figures at children. Wow! <laughs> and so I got a, I got a phantom toy out That's of that. awesome! They were just throwing them into the crowd. <laughs> they are
2: re-releasing the phantom toys now. You can actually find them on BigBadToyStore.com. They have a whole line of the phantom action figures coming phantom out 20, this year. Phantom 2040, though?
0: think so. There's a variant oh, that's in 2040. Awesome. Rob Liefeld's Youngblood cartoon is touted as having better animation than the X-Men. <laughs> Rob but, Liefeld is touting that. Oh my god. But CBS <laughs> has asked that the violence be cut. Rob Liefeld, on the other hand doesn't want to change a thing, and will likely shop the show around to other networks. Probably why it never got seen by anybody. Malibu Comics has joined up with a company that owns a Korean animation studio that has produced Biker Mice from Mars, and that an Ultraverse cartoon will soon begin airing in 1995. Unlike Youngblood, this does actually happen, eventually in the form of Ultra Force.
1: Oh,
2: there you go. Question, guys, you might know this better than I did. Was Adult Swim around yet, or was it a couple of years later?
1: Uh, cartoon, Network cartoon Network had just Network. launched.
2: Because, like, if this ultra-violent Youngblood cartoon, if Adult Swim was around, it could have probably landed there. But at this point, Cartoon Network Network's just basically showing reruns of old cartoons, I think, at the most
0: part. Yeah, like the Harlem Globetrotters cartoon. I remember yeah. it was always on there.
1: <laughs> That's pretty funny. So, what else we got? Anything else? Or is that it? That's it for the for Hollywood heroes. All right, well now it's time for Guy Gardner's gimmicks a go go.
2: How bizarre! How bizarre! How bizarre!
1: that's a thing we do on this show (laughs) oh isn't that amazing oh distant memory from the past returns now uh, something that we uh, normally don't do here on the podcast is swedish death metal but a swedish death metal band called entombed has an album called wolverine blues that is advertised in this issue declaring wake up and smell the 90s and there is a limited edition wolverine comic book that comes packed in with it we got to see if our past guest at wolverine collector and logan has this in his collection if not that may be a, a christmas present <laughs> so let's take a listen right now guys rush out and pick that album up it tubed oh yeah (laughs) now the Spider-Man animated series teased in the past is debuting in the fall of 1994 so Marvel announces that all Spider-Man comics in April will be polybagged with a 16 page preview booklet and one of six comic sized full color acetate prints honoring Spidey the animated series Hmm, I wonder how many people ended up with those. I'm assuming it was just kind of like a clear animation cell looking thing. What is an acetate? It, it's literally like a clear piece of plastic. It's like it's what they use to paint animation on like in the old oh. days that you flip through. So
0: I always wanted one of those animation cells. Like there were stores on Long Island that just sold animation cells at this point in history.
1: There were. I remember that. Yeah, it
0: was kind of near Roosevelt Field Mall.
1: Yeah, I remember. That's weird. Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah, in, in like, my neck of the woods, they it was just the Warner Brothers Studio Store had an actual gallery yep. that you could buy in that.
0: We had that as well at the Walt Whitman Mall. Oh, on Long Island. <laughs> Wow,
2: you're really bringing me back here. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so so just so you know, Adam, we had no Long Island talk last episode. Now we've got a couple of Long Island nuances. or are jamming
1: in Save here. You're saving it for me. <laughs> Thanks, guys. So now, <laughs> next up here, the Bad Guys contest. Ooh, It invites one comics retailer and one comics buyer to submit a photo and an essay about why they should be a villain that gets killed in the Good Guys comic book. So we've talked about the good guys at length, how all of the main characters were people who actually existed and created their own superhero personas. They were selected and ended up in the book. You guys have that really inspiring story about the one gal who made it to the big premiere of it at Mile High Comics. But now they want some bad guys in real life. Can you imagine, like, yeah, I'd be a good villain. I'm pretty terrible. (laughs) and that your character is going to be killed like it says that in the in the literature there plus you get a thousand dollars though so that's not bad at the very least you know you just like maybe you just act bad for the money Now, as teased by Jim Lee a few issues ago, Image is announcing that they are jumping their Bloodstrike, Brigade, Supreme, and Stormwatch comics ahead to issue number 25, which Lee describes as, quote, a what-if situation, except that this time it's really going to happen. So Image claims that when the books actually get to the issue 24 in their regular publication timeline, they will just jump to issue 26 the next month. So they're going to honor this. <laughs> and I don't know how many of those that's books made it that
2: far. Oh, that's gonna be so annoying. It's gonna be so <laughs> aggravating. <laughs> That's another gimmick, if you ask me. Um, Now,
1: Ghost Rider 2099 is announced in this issue, and one of the gimmicks there is it has this really reflective, almost holographic skull on the cover. Um, And I will be covering this on mini-episode 32.5 as part of the return of the 2099 hotline. So I just thought that was a nice bit of synergy there. But also, in my wheelhouse, the Ray number one is announced. Now, there was the mini series that Joe Casado did a few issues for that I have my special memories of, but this was now the ongoing. And that first issue features an all black cover, but then it's got this cool, like shiny gold embossed enhancement. It's like the Ray's power force that goes around him. So he is all blacked out inside the gold, and you could just like see his silhouette sort of. It's pretty good looking. But also, to promote that book, there is a live model ad for the Ray so it is a guy in a Ray jacket and he's got like this powered up fist which I also have a framed poster of that image that ad in my room that kind of hung up in a comic shop so very big month for me and the Ray here Uh, where his uh, star (laughs) rises or falls uh, it's hard to say I don't know that he ever attained such heights as he was touted to but that was still pretty cool for the gimmicks the model that they got
0: to play the ray kind of looks like billy campbell from the rocketeer oh you're right he actually does In my look opinion. like him a
1: lot that's a good point i never even thought about that did you see the the
2: ray mini series that they did on the cw on the cw seed
1: oh Adam? no i i saw they did a an animated movie maybe they put all the parts together to the movie like i, I saw that
2: yeah, it was like it was like an animated mini-series. They might have combined it to one movie at this point, but yeah, there was like a bunch of like ten uh, ten minute episodes that they did for a whole thing to tie in with the CW shows, and it was pretty oh,
1: good. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to check that out, see if it's different than the one I watched. But in the meantime, Michael, we gotta check out that cha-ching! So take us into Punisher's Price Guide. <laughs>
2: Okay, this issue of Wizards comic book price guide tip sheet that claims to have been gathered at the last minute from Wizards Retailer Network. Okay. In order to provide the hottest comics of the moment, this list included Vampirella number 3 from Harris Comics going for $10. Stevens and my favorite, Moon Knight 55 which we've <laughs> talked about a gazillion times going for $22 even though the book gets cancelled about a couple issues later. Well done the max half gold edition going for 75 dollars yes wizard listed their own special edition comic on the list so it's time to see if this little bit of insider trading paid off for wizard in the years to come according to ebay the max half gold edition hasn't sold any time in the last month but it is listed currently from a seller as a signed graded copy for six (laughs) hundred and eighty five dollars What? yeah you want to know who that seller is (laughs) garub no just kidding it says mycomicshop.com. So
1: <laughs> they got it from somewhere. They inherited somebody's collection, and they're like, hey, check this out. Yeah. A Max Gold edition.
2: That's pretty funny. So, Stephen, what do we have in Azrael's action figure, Fury?
0: So Toy Biz announces a few new figures in their X-Men line, including Morph, a character who was created for the animated series, Rogue, uh, and Beast. Another female figure is teased but not yet revealed. I just wanted to say this Beast figure was something that I really wanted, and it was almost impossible to find in my area oh, that, that, that was and just I nationwide i
1: think because it was the same for me like because when all these announcements came out i was like they're making a rogue they're making a morph they're making a beast i had to go to a comic book store that was owned by my sister's friend's husband and they're like they have a comic book store i was like oh, tell him to hold these figures for me and then i had to go and play like a totally inflated price to get all three of those because i could never and i you know i scoured the target and toys around never found them I had to buy them there and I still have them but it was just like man that was they were so hard to find so there was a
0: comic book store in my town uh, where the owner kind of looked sounded and acted like the guy from the Simpsons (laughs) and he had that beast toy and he was selling it for like 20 or 25 bucks which was crazy money in the 90s for a single action figure and so I never got it and then last year I went on eBay and I found one for myself for 10 bucks and then Bob Winters sent me one for my birthday that year, which was, like, in the box. So now I have two Beast figures after having no Beast figures for my entire life.
1: Childhood dreams <laughs> come funny. true!
0: They come true. But anyway, so also in this mix are a Blackbird jet vehicle and a Sentinel. Those are both really cool. Also, oh, I-, I remember the
2: Blackbird. I remember the Blackbird. That was cool.
0: Yeah. Also, Steel Mutants, which are die cast two packs of metal X Men figures and Pocket Comics, which are basically Mighty Max, but with X Men. Did anybody have these?
1: I had the Steel Mutants, and they were solid and dangerous weapons. I mean, they were tiny, they were not very big, but mm-hmm. man, like if you threw those at somebody, especially the Wolverine side, the Wolverine Sabretooth two pack, and then, like, I think it was a Cyclops Omega Red or something. I think I had all four of those, and I was just like, think yeah, they right. were intense.
0: I also had the Wolverine Sabretooth, and I again, I don't know why. They, they were not fun no. at all. You
1: couldn't play with them. You
0: just like put <laughs> these tiny figures on display. So anyway, uh, moving on with Toy Biz, they are also expanding their Spider-Man line to include Carnage, Hobgoblin, and a Daily Bugle playset. All great figures, my goodness. Finally, the standard Marvel superheroes line by Toy Biz will feature a Daredevil figure in his new armored look. Had that as well as US agent that is just a repainted Captain America. Not only is it repainted, the original Captain America figure had like a bump for the star and the and like his gills at the bottom and they just painted right over them. <laughs> you can was still really? see the outline of the star and the gills. It was not very well done. Uh, so also Invisible Woman will be repackaged with a clear plastic catapult instead of her disappearing in warm water gimmick, as has been the subject of discussion many times on this show. That plastic catapult was the same as the one that came with Cannonball, if i Exactly, I'm not except
1: it was clear, and I think yeah. the Cannonball one was gray metal-looking, yeah. Yes.
0: And also, Cyber Force toys, based on the Mark Silvestri comics, are coming. But really, did anybody buy these or see them in stores? Anybody no. here see no. those? No. Okay, so let's you move know. on. Even if I did see them in stores, I wouldn't have known what they were, so I just could have moved on anyway.
1: so (laughs) (laughs) So, Adam, what do you have for us? It's time for Jim and Todd's Hype Machine. As far as coverage of this issue, you know, we talked about Todd's ego column where he's been going back and forth with John Byrne or Peter David or the pigs in the industry, right? But this month, he said he decided that he wanted to have a more positive spin. And so he is defending his, quote, little buddy, Rob Liefeld. It seems like he wrote it just for our podcast. Todd says too many people are equating their distaste for the artwork of an artist with the personality of the artist. Luckily, Rob doesn't have that problem because his personality seems to match up perfectly with his distorted, exaggerated art style. Todd says he once told Rob, "Quote, you're 18, you'll peak at 21, and by the time you're 23, you'll be washed up." Again, pretty accurate. He cites that they are not best friends, but also not competitors either because they're not in the same race. Quote, Rob does group books. I do single hero books. Rob wants 25 spit-off books. I only want one or two. Todd also cites that Rob makes him laugh with celebrity impressions and other comic pro impersonations, which really is the best part of the Observations podcast. You might not enjoy everything being said there, but when he launches into his imitations, he's hilarious. So I, I find him entertaining on that level. Good job, Rob. You should get into voiceover. Todd closes by saying, quote, I'm not trying to make Rob sound like a saint, but people are unfairly bashing on Rob Liefeld, and Rob is a good guy. So we're going to take your word for it, Todd. If Rob wants to join us on Wizards, the door is officially open. Todd is vouching for you, Rob. Come on by. Now, we know that Stephen's brain will never be the same after I made him count the occurrences of Jim and Todd's names over the last few months. In fact, he couldn't bring himself to actually add to the ongoing tally. It was just like, yeah, they were mentioned five times. <laughs> they were mentioned five times. Let's move on. So <laughs> we appreciate your effort there, Stevens, but I am back to ease oh the
0: pain. Oh, God. Pain. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Did you go back
2: and count all the books and and try
1: to fill in the numbers? Because of my move, which was the reason for my hiatus, I do not have them all with me right now. But I am going to do that just to double check in in a month's time. Please do, please do. But as of right now, this issue, both Jim and Todd, last time they both got five and five. This issue, they both got ten mentions each. So they're like neck and neck. But the total ongoing, as I've been able to calculate it so far, Jim Lee has 199 mentions, right on the cusp of 200. And Todd is sitting there strong at 186.
2: So let me ask you a question. When do we determine who we call as the official winner? Like at some point, because, you know, there's a lot of issues going forward. Are we going to go to like the thousands of mentions? I think, or are we I think call I, it that's a, a very good name?
1: point. And my thought has been, I think it's going to come down to the 90s. Like when the 90s ends. So with Wizard 2000, we will crown the winner. Who throughout all of the 90s okay. was the number one between Jim and Todd? fair okay but michael we want to find out who our number one is on the checklist with
2: gambit's deck of cards Man characters were noticeably absent from dc's trading card sets for years because tops had the license and only focused on the movie cards interesting i, I didn't know that fact that's kind of cool but now skybox is producing batman saga of the dark knight trading cards covering the batman universe as presented from 1986 to 1994 Taking it to the next level, Skybox isn't just producing hologram cards, but holographic sky discs. What is a holographic sky disc? When placed on a flat surface and light shone upon it, Batman appears
1: to rise from the card so there are pictures of this on ebay but obviously you can't get the full effect in person so it just looks like this demon blob in like this yellow green dimension (laughs) that's trying to come through you know but but you can't tell it's i mean you can sort of see that it's batman but not really and so i'm very curious Mm -hmm. like i want to get my hands on this just to see the effect they go for like 25 bucks though there's actually a graded sky disc card here 250 (laughs) can you see See the effect no, through the plastic. Whoa. That's the question. Yeah, Holy no. cow! Pass. <laughs> Thank you. Moving on. <laughs>
2: Marvel is also spotlighting a single hero with their Spider-Man card set featuring 150 cards all drawn by Mark Bagley. There is a Venom Carnage Spider-Man hologram subset, Ooh, say that five times fast, and suspended animation chase cards that are basically clear plastic with the characters printed on them. And of course, Adam has a full set of these cards i assume yes
1: i collected these i loved these there was another like fleer set that came out like the year after i was super into those but yeah this set it's beautiful mark bagley just did a wonderful job he actually drew a lot of marvel series one in fact that a lot of that is just mark bagley art i don't don't think a lot of people know that
2: i wonder if like the artists nowadays are bummed out that they don't really do the card thing anymore. That probably was a, an easy cash grab for like, yeah, I'll draw a bunch of cards. Yeah, whatever. you'll yeah, no, A little extra money. You know, it's funny, this, you know, that kind of died off and cards weren't as big of a thing anymore. But last but not least, Mike Allred's Madman is getting a 50-card set, which features artists like Jack Kirby and Frank Miller, among others, drawing the character according to adam (laughs) our our living wizard dictionary who's your source on this michael You, obviously. (laughs) These images have been reprinted many, many times in collected editions and special anniversary issues of Madman Comics. Yes. Do you have the 50-card set? No, I
1: I haven't picked it up yet, but like I say, I have so many Madman Comics where they just put like two or three of those images, obviously in a much larger size anyway. So so I've seen them all. It's, It's not as big a deal to me to have the cards. Good to know. So
2: next up, we have Turok's top ten.
1: It's a new segment. A new name. Ah! And you've named it Terra. We gotta get some valiant in here. I mean, it's only fair. <laughs> Alright, All right. well agreed to disagree. It's alliteration, fellas. <laughs> yes, yes it is.
2: Okay, great. So as you know Wizard has been adding these fun top ten lists in the magazine, but you know, most importantly to us is the David Letterman style jokey jokes. Jokey jokes. If you will. jokey uh, jokes? <laughs> jokey jokes. Yeah. Whatever. So it's time to bring you the top ten things you didn't know about the new Batman. Number ten feels that McFarlane won the debate with Peter David.
1: Wah, wah. Okay. No. Number nine. Doesn't look anything like that Mr. Mom guy. That Mr. Mom guy still rules, so don't don't <laughs> knock it. Number
0: eight prefers robin in short pants. Mm. I mean, we all do. <laughs> who doesn't. And those wing shoes, you know, that had no traction to run in. <laughs> He's got the
2: legs for him. Come on. Yes. Number 7. Those new claws of his can cut
1: through a tin can and still slice a tomato like butter. Like butter, baby. Like butter. <laughs> Number six, isn't jealous about that whole Spawn crossover thing. Now, just to clarify this right here, guys. So, you yeah, know, we've talked about the, we have this Spawn Batman crossover. Obviously, this they're talking about the new Asriel Batman. But when that Punisher Batman crossover happens, it's with the Asriel Batman, not Bruce Wayne Batman. Really? Yes. Because...
0: Real? Because the Hero, you know, Hero Illustrated had that on the cover. Unless they did it was a the second Bruce one. Wayne. But
1: I literally was just reading a comic today that had an ad, you know, the ad that has all the like where you could order comics like mail order or call in. And it actually has the advertisement for Batman Punisher and Azrael is standing behind Punisher.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at it now and you're right crazy right and and in this
2: issue there in the drawing board section there is a fan drawn cover of the Azrael Batman with Spawn in the book ah.
0: it looks like there were two there was ba- Batman and Punisher Lake of Fire <laughs> which was August 94 and that was Azrael and then there was Batman Punisher Deadly Nights which was Bruce Wayne and that was October of that. Wow, so it must
1: have been the same thing where, like, DC produced one and then Marvel produced one? That has to be what happened. Yeah, yeah I mean, they were they only a t- couple months yeah. apart.
0: Really weird. Chalk <laughs> it up to you, Comics! <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, moving on. Number five, cried during Bambi. Ah, oh, you was Who in didn't? Israel. Who didn't? kill <laughs> Just- Please. Everybody
2: cried during that. Number four. Thought that the killer penguins in Batman Returns
0: were cool. <laughs> they were cool. I liked no, they, them. No, they weren't. They were cool. They Come were on. They had, they had rocket packs on their back. Come oh on.
1: God. So terrible. <laughs> So terrible. Number three, felt Chevy Chase got the shaft. And for context, you guys, Stephen has mentioned this in the past. I can't remember if it was on 90s Super Cinema, possibly, but the whole discussion of the Chevy Chase. Oh, know. it's the Bob Winters episode, because you guys talked about the Chevy Chase talk show short-lived on Fox, which was infamously terrible.
0: Oh, it's <laughs> so bad. It's so but bad. Been I a watched Chevy it on YouTube all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right number two used to work the grill at Benny Benny benihana's rules
2: come on i love that place they make a volcano out of an onion come
0: on <laughs> what's not to like
2: right number one strict <laughs> nope pass oh my goodness num- number one is
1: not good wizard fail period so not okay yes not pc in any way
2: if you ever want to see the answer to this question go buy wizard 32 and find it yourself in in fact actually michael you'll
1: send him your copy won't you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you
2: have it because it's either going to go
1: my garbage can my fire pit uh, well boys it was great to be back what a homecoming this is, this is a great issue lots of fun discussion here so many memories and many more to be made we invite you all to make sure that you check us out on social media at Wizards Comics on Twitter at Wizards underscore comics on Instagram go on over to our YouTube channel yes Wizards Podcast we are continuing to produce all your favorite series and of course you'll also want to check out everything that we are doing on patreon patreon.com forward slash wizards comics and we are happy to welcome danny who is our newest big cheese patron if you're gonna go in go all the way you get to have your awesome geek group chat which man the fun times we have here the insider information the details that you will get plus you get to select an individual video that you want us to produce you get to have access to our awesome, awesome 90s Super Cinema podcast that Stephen and Michael are producing. And yeah, so much more to come, guys. If you are already voting in the poll for what you want to hear them talk about on 90s Super Cinema, why not actually listen to it? But uh, also, just a reminder, too, with the Rocketeer (laughs) episode, you are going to be able to hear that through the Box Office 30 podcast, Michael's other podcast, because his guest is Pete, his co-host over there, passing guest on Wizards. So if you want a preview of just how awesome 90s Super Cinema is, go on over, subscribe to Box Office 30, another awesome podcast here on the Retro Network. And of course, if you are not subscribed to the Retro Network podcast feed, they have a great Time Machine podcast, and all their whole roster of podcasts have their own feeds now. So we got a lot of great content. We're glad to be part of the family. And until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded.